Thoth's Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to this new episode of the Thought Hermes podcast. Welcome to our season finale of season three. Wow, time flew by since we started this new season and that was only five months ago. In those five months, we produced 12 regular shows, four Ex Libris episodes and two special editions. So 18 shows altogether. And you, as an audience, have not only followed, but the community of listeners has greatly improved. Today, almost three times as many people are downloading a Thoughts Hermes episode each week, three times more than when we started this season. So this is great, and I thank you very much for this. Today is November 17, 2019, and this season finale is episode 12, regular episode 12 of the season. My name is Rudolf, and I am your host. For our finale, we do not have one single guest on the show, but two. We will come, so to speak, neighbors, because if you don't know, I am based here in Austria, near to Vienna, and we will welcome Astrid Hasprodarova and Matthew Blankenberg, who are a couple in life and in work living in Prague, so really not far from here, and they have created the edition Czech Hermetics together. And under this name, the episode is also presented. More about that in a minute. As you can imagine, producing this show with its ever-increasing impact also has its cost. And therefore... I cannot avoid asking you each time that you help a little bit with this cost. Please, go on our Patreon page and do become a patron. We need you. Options start at $2 per episode at the max of 3 episodes per month, so at the monthly cost of $6. This, I hope, is for most of you not much, but it would mean much to us. Not for our fun or our income, but just for financing our expenses to run the show. You will find the links to the Patreon page on the Thoth Hermes homepage. And also, if you prefer a one-off donation, there is a donation button to do that. Thank you so much. The homepage can be found at www.thoshermes.com. That is T-H-O-T-H-E. RMES.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. And everywhere there, you can send me also feedback, encouragement, or criticism if you want. Please do use this opportunity. I'm really happy to receive messages from you and to get to know my audience better. Thanks also to our sponsor, who is also supporting this show and here comes his information. Anasima Publishing Limited 
Quality occult books and contemporary esoterica. Established in 2011, Anathema Publishing aims to provide superior literature in content and form by creating a triune relationship between publisher, author and reader. Anathema Publishing produces refined books for the true bibliophile on topics ranging from Gnosticism, traditional craft, alchemy, hermeticism, witchcraft, to Luciferian philosophy. www.anathemapublishing.com The Thoth Hermes podcast can not only be found on the website that I mentioned, but also on all major podcast outlets like Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google, Android, iHeartRadio, Spotify, you name it. And of course now also on YouTube in an audio-only version. Sometime during season four, I might do some first tests in producing the YouTube version with video. So stay tuned. I will let you know if and when that happens. And if you are listening from a provider or an outlet that I did not mention now, I would be really happy to get that information from you where you capture our podcast. It's always nice for me to know where it is around. Talking about the future, at the end of this show, after the interview, I will give you an outlook on the next few episodes. There are still two more shows to come before the launch of season four, a special episode and the next Libris show. So stay with us until the very end. It's worth it. Okay, folks, as I just said, today's show is called Czech Hermetics. And this is the name of a brand new publishing house. And they publish English translations of important Czech books about Hermeticism. So far unknown to us here, not mastering that language. And this all happens thanks to the efforts of a charming couple, Czech citizen Astrid Hasprunarova and American Matthew Blankenberg. They have actually met a couple of years ago in London and have decided to go to Prague, well, back to Prague for Astrid and then, but well, that we will hear in the interview. Before the interview, though, I will as always play some music for you and this time visiting a neighboring country of mine, which has produced so much nice classical music, we will dig into that treasure. The three pieces I will be playing for you today throughout the show will be three Slavonic dances by Czech composer Antonin Dvorak. This music roots deeply in the folklore of this country and therefore I find it a perfect match for our interview about Czech hermetics. I'm sure those of you who like orchestral music will enjoy, maybe even know those pieces they are rather popular. And everyone else I would invite to discover the rhythms and harmonies of the Czech countryside. All three Slavonic dances we are going to hear, they are being performed by the Kaiserslautern Radio Orchestra conducted by Czech conductor Jerzy Starek. 
Now, the first that we're going to hear is from Dvorak's Opus 46. It is its number eight in G minor, and here we go.
Slavonic Dance, Opus 46, Number 8, in G minor, performed by the radio orchestra Kaiserslautern under Jerzy Starek, by one of the national composers of Czechia, Antonin Dvorak. And I love that sound. As always, in the middle of the now coming interview, there will be a musical break and there will be the next Slavonic dance for you. Okay, that brought us already into the middle of Prague, that wonderful city called the Golden City, home since hundreds of years of alchemical and hermetic tradition. This will, of course, also be part of my discussion with our two guests today, Astrid Hasprunarova and Matthew Blankenberg. And as you can probably tell by her name, Astrid is from the Czech Republic and Matthew American, as I mentioned before. Both of them are really young and have not so long ago moved from London to Prague again, where they have founded that new edition called Czech Hermetics. But beyond that, they are also practitioners themselves, mainly of Franz Barden's Hermetic Teachings, who is also from Czechia. And in the first part of the interview, we will talk about this and about their personal backgrounds. In this year, there is also the 30th anniversary of the opening of the former Eastern States in Europe after communism. And it is also very interesting to hear how the hermetic schools have survived both first the German Nazi occupation and then communism, which wasn't easy. Lots of interesting stuff to talk about. So without further ado, let's go to Prague and meet Astrid and Matthew. Here comes the interview. Well, what do you do for a season finale? You not only invite one person, but you invite two guests to do an interview. And that's what I did. But those two, I only want to have them together because somehow they, by creating Czech Hermetics, and that's what we called this show, um, they have become kind of one. Uh, well, we'll find out more about that uh, in a minute. And I would like to say hello to Astrid Hasprunarova and Matthew Blankenberg. Hello, Astrid. Hello, Matthew. Greetings to Prague from lovely Vienna. Hello, hello. Hello, hello there. So it's great to have you finally. You know, I'm very happy that we do this show tonight for several reasons. Also, because um, when I created this podcast uh, two and a half years ago, one of the intentions was that I wanted to make a statement that, of course, much of the Western esoteric tradition that we are going to talk about tonight and that I talk on this show all the time has partly originated in our part of the world, you know, where you are mm. and where I am. And um, it's great to have finally somebody on the show who is really from close from that belt berlin prague vienna budapest where many of the things occurred at at in the 19th century so hello to you but that's now all for my intro um greetings to both of you and i think i would like to start this show um by hearing from both of you maybe we'll start with astrid about where you both come from to be what you are today in the field of the Western esoteric world? Why did you choose that path? What brought you to it? When I first heard about your names, there were still two people 
both in London, I believe at the time, at least Astrid, I remember yeah, 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 having yeah. a show there and, and suddenly both were in Prague and I said, hmm, what's happening there? So I'm asking you today, Astrid, where is your background from and what, how did it all happen? <laughs> Well, um, how I got to esotericism and how I got to Prague. Um, well, even if I would really say what actually happened, most people wouldn't believe me because it was beyond incredible. But my interest, um, the, the always, always people say that, oh, my interest started when I was a six-year-old and seven-year-old. Uh, I actually, my interest in esotericism was definitely teenage years. Um, I was yet another quite generic teenager interested in Buddhism and uh, Hinduism and all sorts of stuff. So nothing really that serious. Um, at that time, I thought reading Buddha and sitting in tea rooms equals uh, esotericism. But I was a teenager, you know, as my grandmother was always saying, I was young and stupid. And it kind of definitely got more serious when I was in London, when I was in my 20s. And... So, so before that, you were in Prague, sorry, already. Yeah, I was in Prague. Prague. Okay. I was in yeah, Prague, yeah, yeah. moved to London in my early 20s, stayed there for um, seven years. And that was the time when I met the, met the amazing people in London that I met who were um, into more serious esotericism. They showed me, um, and that's something I really enjoyed. I wasn't part just one of one circle. I was um, visiting circles starting from... New Age to Vikings uh, to uh, esoteric circles around uh, uh, Watkins and Fredwell's um, uh, bookstores and Bookshop, yeah, yeah, uh, amazing places. I lo lo love them both. Um, and that's kind of and things started to snowball from there. And I start to basically I changed my life completely. Um, I changed the careers. I started to be interested in. Um, esotericism a lot. I started to meet people, be part of rituals of basically like at least a few times a week. And after a few years, I ended up um, doing um, tarot card readings for um, events and uh, doing other events, doing like occult consultant for Tower of London. Um, that was a great job and uh, all sorts of other things. So And then I met Matthew, uh, who was also interested in esotericism, and we met in London, and then we went to America. And then when the question was, okay, what now? Um, then Brexit happened, and I was like, well, did, yeah. Did it? I didn't know it yeah. happened. Yeah, but, but clearly, yeah, yeah it I did know. happen. I'm joking. And, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, it was such a weird, like, it was, I remember when the, the results came, it was such a weird day, and... On that day, I was like, well, I thought Brits like me here, but clearly they don't. So <laughs> let's move. Yeah. Let's, you know. yeah. um, and so we decided, so, okay, so where to move? So we decided, well, Czech Republic is cheaper. We've been very pragmatic about it. And it's kind of cute, kind of cheaper. So it was kind of a no-brainer. And once we moved to Czech Republic together, we had no idea what we are going to do. We didn't move to Czech Republic to start Czech Hermetics. It, it basically happened like literally three weeks after we moved in. And it was completely, completely insane situation. We just went in a bookstore, found a bargain book we never heard of about before in Czech. And I was like, what is this? And I was like, let's just write them an email and ask what's the worst thing okay. that can happen. They will just tell okay. us to... <laughs> 
never message them again in rude words. And they did not. Yeah. They did not, yeah. surprisingly. I would. They did not. And they just write, hey, want to translate books? And we said, yeah, sure. And that's how Czech Hermetics was created. Just like that. <laughs> Great. Well, we, we'll come to Czech Hermetics a bit later, but that's already a good start for that. Um, great. Well, Barden was the keyword now to to move over to Matthew, maybe, because actually my first time I heard your name, Matthew, was in relation to Franz Barden. Franz Barden, who I'm also quite acquainted with. I'm quite good friends with Emil Steinar, whose name is probably not unknown to you as well. And um, so um, when I saw your name first related to Franz Barden, that's how I followed, I think, at the time... A few years back, two or three years back, you did that little introduction course, a video course about Franz Barden on YouTube, if I'm not wrong. Um, so that's, that was my first contact with you. But now you, what about you? You're from America originally, if I'm not wrong. And so what did bring you to London in the first place? Yeah, well, thank you for the introduction. Um, nice to be here. Um, and also Astrid, very, very nostalgic now I'm feeling, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Barden, um, well, I did start in America. I'm originally from Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, I spent most of my life in Vermont, uh, which is really strange, but, um, mm. my family just happened to go there and, uh, that's where I spent most of my life. Um, I got into healing work, um, in my twenties and, um, that subsequently led me into finding about Barden, um, just through studying various books on healing. Um, and, um, so yeah, I was doing practicing with other people and things like that, um, kind of building up healing and, um, you know, just through experimentation. And, um, I started reading Barden. I'm like, okay, this is it. Like, this is, this is it. You know, there's, this is what I've been looking for. Um, and it just, it, it was just, it, everything was there, you know, it was just like, okay. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I started following Barden. Um, I started over a couple times, maybe two or three times, um, you know, and, uh, really just dedicated myself to Barden system. Um, at some point there in the beginning, I was doing a few other systems too. Um, you know, I was, I was learning, you know, what I could about the Western esoteric system. So, uh, or tradition, you know, so I was practicing, uh, just very simple stuff too at the beginning, but also probably more complex things too, that maybe I should have waited till later, but, um, you know, it's, I, I say now that, um, a lot of the books that are out there are made for beginners. Um, you know, so that's definitely something I have in mind, but, um, going into it, I just kind of went into it and, um, Barden, I think is the best introduction, uh, someone can have, uh, based on all the other stuff I've done, which is quite a lot, uh, before I left Vermont, I mean, I was in my twenties. I already had at least 300 books, um, that I collected, Uh, which is, you know, I mean, they were all basically brand new books. They were expensive, you know, but, um, then, uh, it was just, I wasn't even a reader when I was a kid, you know, I just was so in love with esotericism and the occult. I just, you know, um, and Barden really, really helped me, 
uh, I would say the most. Um, so I went back to California where I was originally from. Um, I went to school uh, for psychology and um, just thought I would do something, you know, it's just like, hey, you know, um, and uh, that was that was nice, actually. That really helped me in areas like with writing and stuff like that to just continue to uh, develop in that area that I was, I'm, you know, I'm writing every day. So it's it's nice. Um, but even back when I was in Vermont, I kind of noticed Astrid too, kind of like you noticed her with Witching Hour. And uh, How she can really you made not notice Astrid, right? Yeah, you have to. You have to. <laughs> she just made such an impression on me. And it was so by chance. It was like, I don't know, it was somebody I had a friend on Facebook or something, and they, they shared something that Astrid was doing. And it was really, literally like that. I mean, it was like, mm. I just happened to see something that somebody shared about Astrid and, and was like, whoa, like, she's awesome, you know, and was just like checking out all her stuff. And was just like, I love this, you know, and she was so funny and her videos were hilarious. You know, it's well, I'm nostalgic now, right? But, I, I have um, horrendous you know. personality. I have to be funny. Otherwise, everybody <laughs> would be just running away. It's a survival instinct. <laughs> well, so I so I got to the point from all that of like, well, I have to meet her, you know, and um, so yeah, so I ended up somehow making that work. <laughs> I'm glad Great. you did. I'm really glad um, you did. <laughs> well, so, that's, yeah. that's wonderful. Now I have to ask you both a serious question. I don't know who I start with. Let me stay with you, Matthew, for a moment. You were talking about Please. Barden and, and, yes. and um, getting to know Barden in the US. So what is it today? You know, 85% of our audience here is, is from the US. So how do you How do you get into Barton in the United States? What about the Barton perception there? And what was it for you there? Such a great question. Well, there are Barton practitioners. As you said, there's a lot of people in the U.S. Um, and so I actually had the privilege to meet. You, you're talking about practitioners, too, in uh, Europe. But earlier, right. you were talking about some, some well-known people. Um, I got to meet some regular everyday practitioners, you could say, like people that maybe aren't so well-known, but um, also some people that are well-known too. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I don't really talk about it that often, but, you know, because they lay low and they're solitary, but it's out of respect, you know, for their privacy. But um, sure. so there's people out there doing the work, you know, they're, they're not always public about it, but um, really, really great people. And, um, Yeah, I just I, I really like the Barden practitioners. Um, they're they're so nice. And uh, yeah, I, I can just relate with them on so many levels. I mean, for one, because we're practicing the same system. But um, it's 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 like when I was in America and I was meeting up kind of like what Astrid was talking about earlier with you know, different new age type things. Like I, I got into that for a second too, just looking around to see what was out there. And I wasn't really that impressed like with what I was seeing. Like I was like, these people have no idea what they're doing. Like this could be really like malpractice. Like <laughs> It's like really weird what, what I'm seeing. And they were even admitting to me, they didn't know what they were doing. And I'm like, okay. Um, and, but with Barden, it was like, people really knew what they were doing. And, um, I thought that was really refreshing to like, finally, 
you know, come up against some practitioners where it's like, okay, let's do some work, you know, and that's what was so cool about it for me. Um, so I love Barden system and I think, you know, it's definitely my foundation. Um, I mean, I built up my skill level in other areas too. Like I was doing silver method, I was doing healing work, I was doing, you know, all kinds of different things where you have, of course, some overlap, you know, because it's occultism and it's been around for so long. Um, you know, and, um, I would say George Lomer, uh, system, you know, really has a lot of overlap. Um, but yeah, I would say for America, um, it was, you see a lot of dedicated practitioners. It's different than Europe though. I will say that it's, it's very, it's a very different approach. I've, I've told yeah, very, very about different. it. Very different. Yeah. Um, the people are different. I mean, it's a different culture. You have such sure. a, a long history and different traditions out in Europe uh, that you just don't have in America. Um, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a much younger country, uh, America. Um, and uh, so I, I see a really a lot of dedicated practitioners in America, but it's like when I came out to Europe, it's so diff. The approach is just so different. It's like the lifestyle, the the way of life out here. Uh, people want different things. Like people, you know, people just live differently. So it's like they're different practitioners, and and that's from country to country. Maybe also the routings are a bit different in both sides of the Atlantic. The, uh, given the fact, I don't say that makes it better, but probably the thinking about it is different when you have the feeling it comes from your part of the world, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just different, right? It's definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that brings me to my question to, to, to Astrid, because when you were talking earlier that you were sitting in in the Czech Republic or in Prague. I don't know if it was in Prague herself or in another city and in the coffee and getting the first touch with the with Buddhism and the occult world and stuff like that. And that was at the period. I mean, we have this year the 30th anniversary of a big change in that part of the world. So that big change must have affected heavily on the possibility to get to know about those practices, to also be able to practice. Um, how did you, I mean, you were too young to really experience that, but you experienced the transition after. How, how was that experience? Well, um, I would say in a way, especially the 90s in the Czech Republic, and I'm pretty sure it was the same in East Germany, um, mm -hmm. were... It was so different than from Amer how America was in '90s, like mindset-wise and everything else. And I would say um, Czech Republic was kind of always more leaning towards either Protestants or being more of a, a completely atheistic country. Our yeah. Slovakian brothers are more religious. Poland is Poland, and we are sure. like yeah. And I would say. As it is in the Czech Republic right here, right now, I would say majority of people are non-religious, but let's say they more lean towards Buddhism. So surprisingly enough, in the middle of Europe, there is actually loads of like um, Buddhistic books and centers and people. And, and so surprisingly, it's quite strong, I would say, more than I would expect it. Definitely more than I see in UK and definitely more than I've seen in Germany. So, oh, really? mm -hmm. so that's something that was available at that time when I was a teenager. It was around. People been interested in that time. 
in communism, it was the same in terms of there was no religion and religious people being kind of seen as weird, which they still kind of are partially by the majority of the Republic. So um, I would say that kind of a state, but uh, I would say during the communism, anything spiritual was just considered as bad or just simply stupid. It's just like, why yeah. would you believe in such a nonsense? Uh, that's such like a medieval. Now we only believe in the communistic progress and the factories and pollution. That's all we there. Yeah, that, that's that's where we. That's that's our religion, and anything else is just nonsense. So I would say. Uh, in that environment, the what was definitely different was the, and I'm then now I'm slightly like going into the whole Czech Hermetics things, and sure. is that during the fifty years of communism, if the especially the Barden circles, they were more than they survived. They survived into the communism, but they've been in the different parts of a Czech Republic, and they could not communicate with each other very well. So. Basically, what uh, before the communism was like a separate groups around the Czech Republic that been communicating between themselves. During the communism, they couldn't, so they become like separate cells that they couldn't really talk to each other because the post was. It could be censored. Somebody could read it. Somebody might have like a secret police on them, so they didn't talk. So for fifty years, nobody now knew what the other ones were doing. And in nineties, that's. When I was doing, like, when I was not part of a Czech hermetic circles, but the, in the 90s, especially the Czech hermetic circles start after the Velvet Revolution, they start connecting each other. The groups that start to be completely separate for 50 years now started to reconnect. And throughout the whole 90s, and I would say in certain ways all the way till now, they are still connecting and trying to find out, okay, so this person had this piece of a manuscript and this person has this one page and this person on the other side of a republic had one paragraph and that other person have done paragraph. And so I know that the Czech hermetism, especially during the 90s and the 2000s, basically been literally picking up the pieces from communism. I wasn't part of that. I was just being told that, but... That's sure. kind of what was happening here as a result of the communism, just kind of a put it together. And lots of manuscripts were lost or scattered in pieces. So I think that was one of the main things that was happening between the end of communism and the beginning of 90s here in Czech Republic. And I think, so lots of people been asking me, so so yeah, but how is it possible there have been other people like Lassenik, but we only heard about Barton, how is it possible we never heard about those people. I'm like, well, mm. that's easy to say because those people couldn't even communicate between each other across the whole Czech Republic. And how can you expect they would be sending uh, like a letters about what's happening to America? Like obviously it could get you in a serious trouble. So it was impossible for them pretty much to, 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 to communicate outside of the Czech Republic on a larger scale. Like some people did, but not much. So that's why people... Mm -hmm. didn't really hear about those people. Mm -hmm. And when we came to the Czech um, Hermetics, it still was a process. They are still putting pieces together of the manuscripts and what, yeah. So that's why people didn't even hear about it throughout the 90s because it was still kind of a scattered. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this happened already before even communism started. If I remember well, at, uh, during the time of the German occupation of, of, uh, of Czechoslovakia, um, 
Barden was very attacked by the governing regime at the time. Uh, and also at that time already, the Hermetists were probably not very well perceived by by the regime at the time, right? I would say um, when it comes to, let's say, uh, uh, like uh, Germans at the time, like a Nazi Germany and the communism, I would say they both seen spirituality very differently. Like I would say Nazis had some sure. basic interest in it. Yeah. And communists just, they saw it as a superstitious nonsense. They're just stupid. And it's just trying yeah. to like, uh, you know, lead people off the right path of industrialism. Uh, right. So they just see it as just stupid. Uh, but yeah. Nazis were somewhat interested in it. So I think um, where Nazis were more interested, I think, in like getting hold of the books, or getting a hold of the people to help them with something or just being become a part of the group. For example, um, communists were also interested in gathering materials and proofs, but only so they can either write some mocking article or write a book when they would be like, look how ridiculous this person is and look how what nonsense they are saying and look how they are failing. So even more about like mocking yeah. and the discrediting yeah. and... Yeah. Yeah. So it, what, it you, was, what you descri- what you describe, we have experienced here in Austria quite a bit with in Freemasonry, because all the archives of Austrian Grand Lodge are still in Moscow up to 1950. You know, um, so if we want to get information, we have to see that we can get it back from Moscow. So that's also that's just for the same reasons that good you luck. Just <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, we got already quite a, we got already quite a bit back, but still, it's a lot out there. But anyway, um, I don't know who to ask uh, who 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 of you to ask that. But I put it to Matthew. But uh, of course, you two do just answer it the way you want. Um, if we even go further back, I mean, Czech Hermetics. That's not something that started with Franz Barden. That's something that's very old. Well, let's not talk about Rudolf II and all that. But maybe somebody like Gustav Meyrink or or the Rosicrucian movement who, uh, at that time. And when you read all those novels, great novels by Gustav Meyrink and Maybe you help me one day to do a show just on him because I think he's an extraordinary person uh, who who links a bit both our countries, uh, but in that respect. Um, so when we start there, um, how did it all start in Prague in Czechia with with that? What what was the origin of that? Is is it really far, as far back as? as the Middle Ages, as Rudolf II, or what's your opinion on that? Where, where did it all take off? Well, um, I will put, I will, you put that to me, but I'll put that to Astrid because she actually has an alchemy to her, uh, where she covers all this stuff. So this is, this is okay. great for her. This is a great question for her. So okay. how much time, how much time do you have? Um, <laughs> uh, well, you see the clock running down there. <laughs> well, um, um, basically, it goes even further back than Rudolf II. It literally goes, and that's what I'm always saying in my tours, and it really, with Prague especially, it goes literally all the way back to the very founding days of a Prague. Because Prague was found by a witch. Prague was found as a result of a pagan witch having a vision of a big city. And that was actually confirmed from number of uh, two different historical resources. We don't know her name for sure, 
But we know, at least from two different resources, that Prague was indeed found by a pagan witch having a vision. So that's where it started, and it just snowballed from there. Uh, even before Rudolf II, um, number of our um, kings were interested in occult, especially uh, Charles IV and his son Václav. That's like we are talking about 1400s. He was he he was a Christian mystic, but he was a mystic, and he even the Charles Bridge had to be put there on a place in the right astrological times. He got like a habit specifically calculated so the bridge stays for thousand years, which it did. So far, so good, standing. And his son, um, especially, was also founder of one of the few kind of esotericish, uh, okay, esoteric groups. So it and then it, it really snowballed from there. Then Rudolf II and his alchemical insanity, inviting everybody who was Protestant and interested in things, and basically was threatened on life in any other country at that time in Europe. Basically, run to Prague because that was the only king who not just didn't kill them, but he actually moved them right under the Prague Castle. Sometimes in the Prague Castle. So, well, why wouldn't why wouldn't go there? So. In Rudolf II, I think it was the strongest because there was the biggest concentration of people. But even after Rudolf II died and in an upcoming like 100 years or two, there was incredible amount of secret societies. They were Masons. They were, um, well, those been there later, but they were also uh, Rosencrucians and all sorts of people. Um, Casanova was in Prague. He wasn't most likely a member of any society, but he was still taking part of um, all the secret rituals. Um, and even at that time, for example, majority of the noble families since Rudolf II till 1800s been part of a secret societies. For example, um, I think it's Brabant, Brabata, if I'm correct, their noble families actually been, they insisted to remain, I believe, Masons even when Mason, masonry was actually banned officially by the king, they said they are, uh, are not going to stop being Mason and actually been prosecuted for that. That's how dedicated they were, and that was just one out of many families. So the, I would say even from Rudolf II, the love, especially Czech nobility, loved secret societies. And that it just kind of snowballed from there. And then obviously Vienna, all the super tight connections with German and Austrian occultists. That was just super, super strong. So I would say a lot of the Czech tradition before Baden was definitely heavily influenced by Austria and Germany. So they've been actually, it was almost one tradition. The people been traveling a lot. Uh, obviously they couldn't travel in communism, but they travel a lot before. So it wasn't that uncommon that a Czech hermetic would spend five years in Vienna or, or the yeah. other way around. So Yeah, and Prague was the first uh, university in German language uh, on the continent. So, I mean, we must not forget that. It was a focal point of, uh, of, of knowledge at a very early stage. Right? It is now time to interrupt our talk for our musical break. Antonin Dvorak's Opus 46 contains a number, I think it's 12, like my season, by the way, a number of those Slavonic dances. And this time the Kaiserslautern Radio Orchestra and its conductor, Jerzy Starek, they will present its number four in 
F major. Enjoy.
Harmonic Dance, Opus 46, Number 4, in F Major, by Antonin Dvorak. The same artists, the Kaiserslautern Radio Orchestra with conductor Jerzy Starek, they will return immediately after the interview with their third piece, and then it will be number five in A major. But now we go back to Astrid Tasprunarova and Matthew Blankenberg, and now we are going to talk more about Franz Barden and his school, but also about Peter de Lazenic, another hermetic scholar and practitioner, contemporary of Barden and also a very interesting guy. Astrid and Matthew have published translations of his work into English recently with their edition Czech Hermetics. And they also produce very special magical mirrors, which Matthew will explain to us. So back to Prague now. Okay, so let's get to Barden then before we go to your to your venture, Czech Hermetics. Uh, Barden, um, I think that's Matthew now. Uh, how How did he take off how did he um, start being known as what he, we know him today was it just a book or was it his circle or what, what what happened then yeah there's so much there um okay yeah <laughs> um where does one begin well barden uh and everybody else uh in the czech republic um, you know, what Astrid was talking about with everybody, uh, in other countries to, um, the occultism at that time, uh, his system definitely does, um, have a lot of similarities to that time period. Uh, you could say, you know, there's, uh, different manuals, different things that came out around that time. Uh, Let, let's just define, um, let's just define the time it, that we're talking about 1920s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah, yeah. yeah, because because the first book that Astrid and I found when we came to Prague was um, the textbook of high magic, which is actually um, translations that Barden put together um, from German books, and he translated them into Czech, um, with the exception of Crowley, of course. Uh, so it's so the the textbook of high magic is essentially a training system which is quite similar to his, um, and it, it, it predates his. Um, so it's uh, George Lomer's Seven Hermetic Letters plus the eighth letter, uh, which was published later. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, after that, Rune Magic, uh, or Rune and Maggie uh, in German, um, by Siegfried Adolf Kummer, um, and then uh, Book Four by Crowley, um, and so basically, yeah, he translated those, uh, he even did original kind of original drawings, uh, in a way from, they're different from they're maybe traced over, but they're, they are different slightly. Um, so he did kind of put his own version of that together and that's kind of maybe an earlier, uh, version of his training system, I would say. Um, and, um, you can definitely see it reflected in his training system, um, you know, with, uh, in respect to Lomer and the seven hermetic letters. Um, so right there, you can see a connection between, uh, the Czech hermeticism and German occultism, but, uh, Barden did have his own circle and, um, you know, not everything was put in his books. 
so, you know, that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind is, um, a lot of the practices were also, as Astrid said, there was this big connection where it was like the same country, you know, the same, uh, circle in a way. And so, um, and you know, it's Czech Republic, uh, Czechoslovakia at the time, you know, it was basically the center of Europe, um, you know, and so, uh, there's just so many different streams of occultism going on uh, that would come through it. So, you know, alchemy and, and all sorts of different things uh, would be coming through it. Um, Barden, of course, was, uh, you know, a spagyric, um, you know, which you can see in his works, uh, aside from everything else that he did, uh, which is a really long list of things. Um, but, you know, he... Uh, was a very good spagyric. And so, um, you know, you see some of that in his book. He's giving uh, spagyric practices and, and things of that sort to kind of give people an idea and get people started. But uh, he was very busy. He had a lot of clients, um, it said. Um, you know, he had secretaries, more than one. You know, he had multiple secretaries. Um, you know, he was very, very busy. Uh, and you know, it was, and he had different circles all over the Czech Republic, uh, Czechoslovakia at the time. Um, yeah. you know, and yeah, and, and they still exist. So where did he live himself in Brno, I think, or where was his base? Opava. Um, his base was Opava, Opava. Opava, Opava yeah, but he sure, actually, yeah. And Prague, but he actually seemed to travel actually quite a lot. He seems mm -hmm. to be like a traveling visiting circles, writing circles. He actually did write a lot of letters and uh, materials. And he actually wrote a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And finally, there are those, well, we could say four books, the four books that at least people in English and German nowadays, and I guess also in Czech, but you'll let me know, um, know about when they hear Barden. It's those four main works by him but there is yeah. much more to that as you just pointed out matthew and also yeah. what we will see hopefully appear by uh, uh, step by step already in the czech republic was published the atro introspection which is um about 700 pages thick book about introspection that barden co-wrote with his um secretary Josef Drabek. Then uh, was published also the diaries of a Franz Barden student in Czech language, which is a Drabek's diaries when he writes about his own experience, his own practices. Um, and also Franz Barden initiatory text, which is, I would say, one of the latest books that was published here in Czech Republic. And that one is a collection of um, a texts that from the inner circle that been put together and not now uh, now published. Right. But there is and, and more. Those, there is still more. <laughs> but those, three, those three books that you just mentioned, they have been published now lately, not Yeah, not yeah, it's earlier, just like a now. year or yeah, two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, right. So we have to expect a lot from Czech Hermetics to come, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we hope so too. <laughs> yeah. All, all right. So, so, uh, so Barden then, but Barden got into real trouble, I think, during the during World War Two because he did not want to cooperate in the way that he was expected by by your occupants, wasn't he? Right. Yeah. Um, I would well, say. <laughs> I would say that um, with Barden. I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew. I would say. Um, no, no, no. Please. <laughs> 
I would say with Barton personality, from what I heard about him, from what I read from him, uh, not just the four books, but his like a. Uh, uh, letters and the stories I've heard about him, I would say he did not necessarily were trying to stay out of trouble. Uh, I think he was just, he was just the type of a personality who just doesn't care, who just does things. And, you know, I, he was so, he was really courageous, brave, and definitely very cheeky and sassy as a person. So I would say Getting into trouble were more question, unfortunately, when that's going to happen than if it's going to happen. Because he was very outspoken. And even with his letters he was writing, um, that's one of the reasons how he actually became famous. It was because even before he wrote the books, he thought that it would be cool to get more materials for his students. So he would just write literally like a dozens of letters to various leaders of various groups around the, Germany. And he would always write them, hey, can you send us some materials? We can't pay you, but would you be so nice? We are so fan of your work. We love your work. Please send us something for free. And some people actually did. And that's through this like really sassy and cheeky letters. That's how he became friends with the people uh, who who got him in touch with Bauer with his first with his first with his first publisher. So he, because he was so outgoing and courageous and sassy and cheeky, that's why he's famous right now. You know, sometimes you have to risk it to get the biscuit. And he did, and sure. it worked. <laughs> yeah, 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 got you, got you. Now let's move back to the point when we had the beginning when you both the two of you moved to move to. Um, Prague again, right? When was that? Two years ago, approximately, or uh, when, when did that happen? Yeah, probably around three years, three years ago. ago now. Yeah, three years ago. Okay, time flies, doesn't it? So yeah, it really and, does. Uh, <laughs> and okay, so you move into that bookshop, I think, Astrid, you said, and see that, see that, um, see that man or that book, and and start yeah. working with that. Um, but. Now, Matthew, what gave you the the confidence, or maybe you were just as cheeky as Barton himself, but uh, what gave you the confidence to to say, okay, we'll do that. We translate that into English and we'll find our audience. Because, I mean, it's not an easy task also in 2019, even with all those computers and stuff, to start publishing and to start publishing books for a niche. So... How did it all, what gave you the idea and the courage to do that? I, well, I thank you for using that word. Um, you know, I, huh, I guess that I just didn't even think about all those things. You know, I just assumed that we would do it and it would work. Um, and it has. Um, yeah. It's it, In fact, it's really, it shocked the publishers initially how well it did originally they didn't they, they weren't sure because they'd done right. never had done uh, international publishing before and this was like all only on the internet that we've done anything we were not even on amazon we we're just through our website on checkhermetics.com um mm -hmm. and 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 through um you know and we we did distributing and things like that too we set that up ourselves but Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, they were amazed that we sold anything uh, on the first day. 
And then it just snowballed. <laughs> it was, they were, yeah. they were amazed. They couldn't believe it. And then it ended up selling like, I think like the second best, uh, out of like the first two weeks of any of their books. And they'd been around for like 30 years or so. Um, and, uh, so they were really surprised. Um, and we were really surprised, but again, we didn't, we didn't, I didn't really think about it. I just really wanted to do it. I wanted to, that's why I did my walkthrough, you know, initially I just wanted to help people. And I was like, Oh my God, these books are just here. And like, they're not being translated, you know, like what, what, you know, <laughs> why <laughs> else? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just had to, you know, um, right. So it, it was that just was something big. that I just felt called to do. I think it would yeah. be more question for our publisher, like where he got the confidence to actually invest money in publishing the book. <laughs> well, well, well done, I must say. I, but but I, I mean, I have, I have those, I think it's five, I call them objects now, five objects that I have here on your page in front of me. Two of them are books, the book that I hold in hand here, which is Hermetic Initiation into Martinism. Then we have the other book, Sexual Mysteries. And, but we have also that alchemical tarot deck, which is, I haven't had, had it in hand yet, but it looks amazing. And also those um, mirrors, that uh, psychological mirrors that you yeah. produce or, or, or distribute, I must say. Um, let's yeah. go one by one. Maybe let's start sure. with those mirrors and come back to Lazenik at the end of our talk. Um, so those, uh, those th you have a dark black mirror and uh, golden mirror now can you tell us more about that and what it is and how you found out about it yeah so um as astrid said um and as we were talking about earlier too the czech tradition it does go back pretty far um maybe this might even overlap into merrick a little bit um but uh as far as the psychological mirror is concerned um, okay. but uh, in general, um, we, we did do a video about it where we described the different paths, uh, that people can take. So there's the psychological path, um, you know, then there's magical, uh, you know, you're, you're going, you're transcending up the surgical path. Uh, there's the, uh, alchemical path, um, and the way it was described, basically our colleague, uh, Lou Koshlejetsky is making these mirrors, uh, himself. And it's based, uh, as we talked about or, uh, wrote about, um, it's based on research from various Czech Hermetics from the past. So, uh, that does include Lasnik, uh, but also Kabbalik, uh, Frantisek Kabbalik, um, and, uh, various others. And, um, they're very beautiful. The psychological mirror and the dark mirror differ from one another in that they are kind of accessing different levels of the astral plane, if you will. Um, so the black mirror um, is considered to be perhaps more on the lower octave of the astral plane and the psychological mirror is considered to be kind of on a higher octave. And so where the two differ, um, it, it can be considered preference, but the black mirror is really good for working with, say, elemental spirits, um, you know, elemental kings and queens. 
but the psychurgical mirror uh, can be really good for planetary workings. Um, So there's, there's that, but I mean, you can use either, um, you know, how you will. Uh, The psychurgical mirror is um, very solar. So it's kind of like powered by the sun uh, in a way you, you kind of put it out and it kind of absorbs and you don't do it for too long because it has resins uh, that it's made with, or you can avoid any difficulty with that. And you can just have a UV light and that works equally as well. Uh, you just have to shine the UV light on it for about an hour as opposed to putting it in the sun for like five minutes. Um, the black mirror is almost completely different. Um, you know, it's black, so it's opposite from the sun. If we were to look at the, the two pillars. Um, and so this, this mirror is, uh, it's, it's used differently. The black mirror, um, you're not charging it with the sun, um, but you are consecrating it with the psychurgical mirror. You're not consecrating it. You're just using sunlight. So right. there's, there's differences, uh, in terms of the practical use of them, but, uh, they're both incredibly practical tools. And, uh, honestly, I was really surprised. Nobody really knew anything about psychurgy, uh, when we came out with that, they're, they're like, huh, you know, and these are very knowledgeable people, but psychurgy does have a pretty big place in the Czech tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, we've come to find out. Um, the, what was described to us with the alchemical mirror, um, is that it's not really a mirror. Uh, it's, it's different. Um, and we, <laughs> we, we didn't really have it explained to us much more than that. It's, it's, it's not a mirror. It's, uh, apparently more like a quest, uh, that somebody would go on. Um, and the thurgical mirror, um, is not being made, uh, publicly, it's, it's just considered secret. It's, it's maybe within, uh, the circle and, um, it's for people that have balance, uh, and you can use the psychological mirror and the dark mirror to get yourself balanced. So you can use the thirgy, you know, but it's, yeah, at this point, uh, that's, that's not being offered. And, I don't know, um, but it's it's all very interesting that that's coming out. Certainly is, certainly is. Thank you. Well, now let's go to to Pierre Dulaznik. Um, I have that beautiful book in hands here, um, and. Uh, Tell us about him because we're talking about Barden, but we and my rink and a few of those, but we left out an important group of people where he was part of. Uh, and so maybe Astrid, tell, tell us a bit about him. How, how did you find out about him and who is he actually? Let's tell our audience a bit about him. Um, um, how we got to Lassenik was. Um, through uh, the publisher Vodnash and uh, the people around that who um, been, uh, are interested in and, and know, obviously, the Czech circles. And um, in those Czech circles, Lassenik, I would say, is really popular. I would say it's on the same level of Barden. I would say there are even uh, quite a huge groups of people who, for example, prefer Lassenik over Barden. Um, there's also groups that like Kabbalah a lot. So, 
it's it's different groups prefer different people and um, we got close to a group that um, really like or prefer Lassenic or was really fond of Lassenic and his work and also preserved loads of his works and through them we found out about him found out that he was a friends with Barden they knew each other they kept visiting each other Barden was staying at Lassenic's place and um, I would say, even though they've been quite different as a people, as a personalities, um, it seems like they get along really well and um, they definitely influenced each other. And Barden did have some of the Lassenic um, lectures or Lassenic writings in his like in his in, in his possession. So mm-hmm. he definitely was aware of what he is doing and. Uh, was definitely fond of it. And uh, Lassenic was somebody who um, uh, spent a lot of time in Paris um, working various jobs. He was an artist. He was very artistic. He was a painter, but he was doing all sorts of other artistic jobs as, too. So when he was pa- in between wars or even uh, earlier, when he was in Paris, he was exploring um, artistic stuff uh, and he was working as uh, he was uh, working on a pay uh, on the sculptures and restorations for Angkor Wat um, temple and uh, he's become a part of various groups of esoterics and spiritualists in, in Paris we think some of them might be even like uh, satanist but I would say also martinist and and that's how he um, that's how he uh, found out about uh, Beverly Pascal Randolph. And mm-hmm. he actually brought him back to Czech Republic. So that's actually that, quite that's a, a sexual mystery. Book, yeah, right? that, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where I kind of getting to that. Mm-hmm. So it's actually mm-hmm. like lots of people have been wondering, like, how is it possible that Czech Republic in 30s and tw- uh, like in that time was actually aware of Randolph, which is kind of like a random thing and how we go to Czech Republic. So it actually yeah. got to Czech Republic through Lassany, who brought it uh, from Paris. And uh, when he was here, he would become um, he was interested in Martinism. He was uh, he was in Egypt. Um, so he got a hold of that side of uh, the side of a spirituality uh, as well. The, the Brotherhood uh, and then um, he started to do like a lodges. He was part of Universalia, which was this big esoteric, like really huge. It was loads of members uh, society in Prague. Uh, that was a big society. He was one of the founding members um, that had loads of people. And Universalia even had money. So they even had like various esoteric machines. They had a f- room full of machines, which was something that was financially like quite hard to achieve. So it was like a big society. It was So he got a lot of traction from that because he was like a lot of people knew him from Universalia. And apparently Universalia did not want to accept Barden, but uh, he actually said like uh, he wants to accept him because he was close friend with him. So I would say Lassenik was somebody who was um, definitely interested in Martinism, hence initiation to Martinism. He was part of it. Um, he uh, was also interested in sexual magic. And at some early ages, but like when he was younger, he was doing experiments uh, with some uh, poisonous incenses and, incenses and even with peyote. So he definitely never shied away from anything. He, wa- he wanted to try and see if it works or not. And towards the end of his life, he found out that for work for him was uh, Martinism. 
and uh, that's what he kind of dedicated the 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 I would say the the the, the last part of his life. But he unfortunately died very young. I believe he was forty four, if I'm correct. What um, year did he die? Nineteen forty four. Nineteen forty four. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So was, before Barden, actually. Yeah. 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 He died before Barden. He died very young, forty mm. four years of age. But um, so this is the part of stuff that we have. Uh, he still has, he had uh, students and a student of a students and students of a students that are still follow like existing towards this day. So they are still existing like a group of direct students of that lineage. And we've been able to preserve, or the circus been able to preserve good part of his writing. Lots of it was destroyed by communists and and other things that happen. And, uh, but this is, this is what we have from him. That's, 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 that's kind of the initiation into Martinism, the sexual mysteries, and also a book that's called, uh, like book about tarot and other things that have been published in a, in a, in a Czech language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, talking about, about followers and direct lineage, is there also a Barton lineage still in the Czech Republic, a direct Barton lineage? Yes, it is. Yes. Okay. It is. Um, okay. It's. It's. This lineage definitely prefers to stay in shadow. So it's definitely not people who would be very showy. Like they have absolutely no interest in like being public. I would say, and uh, we met them. Uh, they are very strong it's, it's it's hard to describe it's very impressive to meet those people in person it's like the energy and the personality of those people it's very very strong and mm-hmm. it's hard to describe but even if i wouldn't know who they are even in a room full of people it always feels like the room gravitates towards them mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's it's like a strong gravi- gravitation field um, oh my god! They would hate me if they would know I'm talking about them like that because they would like now oh, what they're talking about. It, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but they, they yeah, are but... they are alive and well. <laughs> it, it sounds logical to me when you when you think about what Barton taught and what Barton said. So I think it's not it's not a big surprise, but it's nice to hear that it exists actually. Yeah, that they are <laughs> very very much alive and very much well. <laughs> exactly. Well, we're coming a bit towards the end of this show, but in the in the beginning we were talking about backgrounds and where you were coming from. And so at the end of the show, I would like to ask you where you are going to. So what what are your next plans? Are there immediate plans or are there dreams that you hope will come true in the next few years? And maybe this round of question, I will start the other way around with Matthew first. Um, so what's your upcoming plans, ideas, or maybe something you would like to announce on here? Or what what about um, dreams for the near future or not so near sure. future? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, uh, keep doing what we're doing. Um, I'm really happy about everything and how it's all going. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, um, keeping it simple, I guess. I, I think that Uh, I'm really happy with the direction that things are moving in and uh, I'm just going to keep doing it. Um, I'm really grateful for Astrid uh, that she's along with me. Uh, and um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what she has to say as well. I, I, I am just planning on continuing. I mean, I love the path that I'm on and, um, I, I feel that there's really no need for me to really change, uh, anything, I guess. Um, mm. yeah. Any special book project projects on your end or video? Well, that's a good, that's, that's a good something. question. Yeah. I, um, Yeah, we are we are currently working on uh, another title. Uh, this one by uh, Barden, but also uh, his secretary of uh, Drawback, and um, this is a very big book. Uh, so it will demand a lot of time. Uh, so we really appreciate uh, the patience of the international community as we work on these projects. Um, But it's it's really good, and um, I have the absolute belief that it will help a lot of people, uh, just as all of Barden's books have. Um, and it's really nice too because it's it's definitely co-written uh, by Drawback, and Drawback was a very advanced practitioner in Barden's circle. Um, so you kind of get sort of an alternate viewpoint uh, from an advanced student. Uh, from Barden Circle, which is also really nice because you see a lot of people spend a lot of time online trying to figure things out and, you know, get different ideas and different impressions of how to approach it. And I would say that book really has it in a lot of ways. Right. Is that one of the three that Astrid mentioned earlier, uh, which exists yes. in Czech yes. language? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. Okay, Astrid, up to you now. What's, what's your plans and what's your dreams? Well, I would say that 99% of my plans and dreams can overlap with Matthew. Uh, <laughs> but I would say um, we are not planning for Tiger Medics to become uh, as huge as a Llewellyn or anything like that. We're still planning to, you know, uh, keeping it keeping it kind of a niche and small and uh, make sure that we never cut corners when it comes to quality of the books. So we, my plan is that our plan is definitely to keep the quality of the books that people seem to like and keep it that way at a reasonable price. And we're also hoping to bring obviously more books from Czech Hermetics uh, that I think are very unique in terms of a context of especially English, English uh, books and English esoteric books. Um, you might find some parallels with obviously German German literature because that's you know that's where the root is and that's they share a lot of ideas too, but definitely for English English speaking and uh, English uh, esoteric literature available in English, I think the Czech Hermetic books are going to be quite unique and refreshing. And there's a lot yeah. of information that's in them that I think people will find useful, especially the initiation into Martinism. Because even though it's Martinism, I truly believe this book is universal. Uh, because especially for initiation and initiatory material, that's not in Lodge. Because it, it, it has a lot of similarities to various Lodge systems. I would say it puts the first step, the focus of the first steps, back to introspection and back to self. And that's something that is, I would say, missing in a good part of beginner's books in esotericism, especially the English-speaking one. I know there are some in German, but uh, in English-speaking one, lots of the, in the books for beginners have the initial focus on completely wrong things and kind of setting the person in the wrong way from the beginning. And that can be people who can be interested and could be have a potential. So I think this book just kind of puts the attention 
back where it should be at the beginning of the of the journey, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well said. No, I agree with it. I mean, I've I've only had it for about two and a half weeks or so, and have been working few of the things in it. But it's of course much too short to to have any deep. Uh, opinion on the not on the book the book is lovely and and it's great that you did it but on what the working will will yeah you've just started uh, exactly exactly but i must say it's very interesting and to me correct me if if you see that differently but to me from what i have seen so far it's a very different approach to martinism than the classical french martinism that i know so far which honestly is a bit further off from me, from my personal taste, right? It's much more, to me, this one is much, uh, I would stress the word hermetic initiation into Marxism much more than the word Martinism. Um, but maybe you see that differently, but that's the way I perceive it. Yeah, and I, and I want to say to happy St. Martin's Day. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Because that's, that's today. I would say, um, um, uh, like, that's, I'm not Martinist, so I can just give my opinion on the situation. The Czech medicine is having the approach to the situation that the most amazing thing or the most important thing is the, the way of the heart and the purity of the heart. And the heart is what matters. And in that sense, the initiation into Martinism as a book works. He, is pro- he does not really care to describe you the degrees and uh, and the first degrees you do this and this and this and that uh, you know, uh, or accomplishments but he talks directly to your heart he cares about your heart and the development of the heart so he goes straight to what he thinks is important and that's the way of the heart and obviously like I think in any um, of any order um, from the outside my look like the people from the outside might see the degrees or the medals or the symbols but for the martinism even people who write books about it but i would say the core of the martinism is the way of the heart and that's what lasenik talks about and i know remotely being told that there was not that many books from martinists and like actually written by martinists about Martinism that have been published recently, like in past few decades. It's not that people, I believe there are reasons for it, um, but um, it's not that common topic. So I would say that he writes the way he writes because he talks, like he, for him, he is interested in the way of the heart. And right, he is right. less interested in the, you know, the, the symbolism and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, which in itself is a very Rosicrucian approach. Actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Well, great. Look, it was great to talk to you on this day, not only of St. Martin, but of the full moon and Mercury transition through the sun. So what else do we want for a season finale? Plus Astrid and Matthew here with us. So um, thank you both for your time. Thank you for being with me today and it was great to have you and well i do hope actually that this link vienna prague will maybe give us some more occasions to talk and to maybe do something together maybe be even beyond that this show so thank you for that thank you for your time and i hope to be in touch soon and thanks for your work also that you do yeah, thank you for having us thank you as well. thanks for listening Thank you. Bye now.
a very joyful and energetic piece of music to round up a highly interesting interview. Antonin Dvorak's Slavonic Dance, Opus 46, number 5, in A major, played by the radio orchestra Kaiserslautern under their conductor Jerzy Starek. So this was a real full Czech sound for today. Thanks, Astrid and Matthew, for that interesting insight you gave us. We hope to see a lot of new interesting books coming out of Prague and of your edition in the future. Okay, friends and listeners, and this is the end of season three. Well, almost, as I said. It's definitely the end of a series of 12 interesting interview shows, the now so-called regular shows. But, of course, during this past season we have introduced those new formats, and so I'm happy to announce you the program for the upcoming weeks. Next Sunday, on November 24, a very special treat. Ursula, whom you know from two book presentations in the Ex Libris editions already, well, she attended the Occulture Berlin 2019 conference two weeks ago, and she did not only greatly enjoy herself there, but she made also a few very interesting interviews, recorded audience feedback, and even excerpts from a couple of rituals. So next Sunday, we will, in a special edition called Occulture Pickings, present a feature with all that material. Thank you, Ursula. I'm sure all of you here will enjoy that. And then in two weeks, December the 1st, yes, December already, Christmas is approaching. So in two weeks, another Ex Libris edition and talking about Christmas as we are going to present four new books about topics from our beloved Western tradition. Maybe there is a gift you would like to give to someone of your beloved ones or maybe to yourself. So don't miss Ex Libris on December 1st. But of course, the end of season three does also mean something else. In three weeks, there will be the start of season four. Another great series of 12 regular episodes starting on December the 8th. I will announce our guest in that first episode on that day in a week or so. And I'm sure season four, we'll, season four, season four, I mean, will during its run also present some other new formats. So stay tuned. For today, though, I can only thank you not only for listening to this show, but to Thoth Hermes in general and for having been with us so often and regularly. It is a great pleasure for me to produce this show for you. And with all those growing audiences, it will certainly continue to be that for me for a long time. So come back next week then, and for now, I will say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon. <laughs>